My name is Ron Cool. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. Welcome to all of you, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Our scripture passage is from uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians. Colossians 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. It's a letter that Paul writes from Rome, all right? He's in prison in Rome. And you can see where Colossae is there. Um, they are in what is t- today known as Turkey. Back then it was Asia Minor. This is a passage in which Paul is lifting up Christ. He's talking about how amazing Jesus Christ is, what an amazing gift Jesus Christ is, and that Jesus Christ is indeed enough to satisfy all of our needs. Paul writes this. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is ahead of the body, of of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Even though um, you might not recognize the term, or for some of you it may be outdated already, the situation, the problem that it addresses, that it names, is one that I think all of us can understand and relate to, at least at one time or another. The term I'm thinking of is FOMO. FOMO. If you don't know what it is, it's the fear of missing out. It's the fear of missing out, and it could be defined as this, a compulsive concern that one might miss an opportunity or satisfying event. And, and what it refers to is that, that sense that we sometimes have, maybe on a, if you're younger, uh, in college or high school, it's a Friday night, and you've been busy all week, you're really tired, everybody else is going out, and you decide, no, I'm just going to relax. Smart move. But while you're home, you get filled with FOMO, with that fear of missing out. You wonder if this isn't the night that everybody has the time of their lives, if this isn't the night that whatever happens that's going to change everything, that everybody's going to talk about that fear of missing out. It can happen in our work. Somebody's going to start a new company and they invite you to be a part of it. You think, I can't do that. I need stability. But as you watch it grow, you think, oh, am I missing out? Am I missing out on that? As we get older, FOMO affects us less. We begin to experience what I found was JOMO, uh, the joy of missing out, uh, <laughs> which I can relate to more. But even sometimes us old folks, you know, kind of look at our kids. They did what last night? I mean, right? There's that fear that we have, that fear of missing out, that fear that something is going on, that, that, that we're missing it. There's something bigger. There's something more important. And should we be someplace else? And should we be doing something else? I, I mention that because there are different kinds of FOMO. And I think one of them, and it's a powerful one, is what I would call Christian fear of missing out. Christian FOMO. It's the idea that somewhere out there is some secret that's going to change my Christian life. Uh, That that there's maybe a a secret prayer. A secret prayer that if I learn to use this prayer, this style, this name for God, this name for Jesus, if I learn to do it in this way, that somewhere there's a secret prayer. And if I pray it this prayer, then my children will never get hurt. 
If I pray this prayer, then I'll never get divorced. If I pray this prayer in this way, with the right words, with the right... There's some secret prayer out there. Christian FOMO, fear of missing out, right? Or, or maybe there's a knowledge. Maybe there's some piece of knowledge that if I had this, if I could just understand this, this name for God, this name for whatever, this power to tap into. Again, that's the third one. Is there a, a secret power that I can tap into? This is, I think, a really big deal. If you go to any bookstore and even a lot of Christian bookstores, you're going to find a lot of examples, in my view, of Christian uh, FOMO, of Christians' fear of missing out. This one talks about the secret teachings of Jesus. It talks about the Gnostic Gospels, about the Gospel of Peter, you may have heard of it, or of Thomas, or the secret Gospel of John, or, or the secret book of James. And it says, you know, this is what the church hid. This is what you need to know. This is where the secrets really are. The secret message of Jesus. This is what he was really saying. And, and, and you look at these books, and I know, I know these things are not helpful. But there's still a part of me said, but what if there is something there? Right? The secret language of angels. I mean, what if we could be talking to angels right now, right? I mean, the, the subtext there is what every Christian should know about God's holy messengers. If angels are trying to talk to you and you're not listening, don't you want to know? The secret language of angels, becoming a powerful Christian, seven secrets to a life of miracles and answered prayer. I would like to know those seven secrets because I want a life of miracles, right? I want a life of answered prayer. I want, I want, I'm, I'm missing out. The Christian secret of a happy life. And even secular novels, I mean, the Da Vinci Code, the movie and the book. Again, one of the taglines that was on the cover of the book for a time was discover what the church has been hiding from you. Discover what the church has been hiding. They don't want you to know the truth. They don't want you to know this. It fits in with our conspiracy theories, right? There's something out there. The church is hiding things. There's some secret knowledge. There's some power that I can tap into, some secret prayer style. And the question that really is behind all of this, and the question we want to think about this morning is this, is, is Jesus by himself enough? Is Jesus, his word, his death on the cross, his resurrection, is that really enough? Or is there something else? Is there a secret? Is there something that we're missing out on? I, I got to tell you that Christian FOMO was not a new thing. It started within 30 years of the Christian church. It was alive and well in Colossae. The, the church there had been started and, and they grew and they believed in Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. The Holy Spirit was there. And then within 30 years, people started to say, you know, there's something more. Jesus is great, okay? In fact, we could say Jesus is necessary. But he's not enough, you see. He, he, he needs to, excuse me, there we go, but Jesus isn't enough. You need something more. And these people were in the church in Colossae, and they were teaching, and they were saying, you know, here, I got secret knowledge. I've got Gnostic knowledge. Gnosis, Gnosis is knowledge. I got Gnostic knowledge. I got secret knowledge. I got secret powers. I've got secret ways to tap into the powers of the universe. And Jesus is good, but now I can take you to the next level. Now I can take you to a higher place. Somehow, Paul hears about this all the way in Rome. Somehow, Paul hears about this. And he, and he gets frustrated. And, and I think he gets a little scared. Because Paul knows. 
Paul knows that Jesus is enough. Paul knows that anything added to Jesus is a problem, is wrong, and is unhelpful, and is ultimately going to draw us away from Christ himself. And so he writes Colossians primarily for this reason, because of Christian FOMO. Because these people were afraid of missing out, and they were listening to these other teachers, and, and they were saying, okay, where's the knowledge? Where's the prayer language? Where's the experience? Where's the power? How do we tap into it? And Paul wants to say, would you just relax? Because let me tell you this, Jesus Christ is enough, and Jesus alone is enough. And in those six verses we read, Paul tells us four things, four reasons why Jesus Christ is enough. As I said, he just sort of lifts Jesus up like you do a diamond, and it catches all of these amazing facets of who Jesus is. And so that's really what I want to do with you this morning, is just remind you that you don't have to go looking for some additional games or tricks or anything. Jesus Christ is enough. First thing that Paul says is Jesus shows us the fullness of God. He, he shows us who God is. Verse 15 of chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God. And we could add the Son is the only image of the invisible God. The Bible makes clear that we can't see who God is. We can't see him. He lives in spirit and, and, and truth. And he is so holy and he is so bright. And if we could see him, all we'd see is just something that would sear our eyeballs. And we can't see him. But the Son, Jesus, unlike anybody else ever has, we've, we've had people tell us about him. We've got stories throughout the Old Testament about who God is and about how God behaves. But now, now in Christ, we have seen God's face. In Jesus Christ, we have seen God's heart. If you want to know the Father, you look at the Son. And, and, and if you say, well, yeah, it's partially right. Jesus shows us a partial, partial picture of the Father. No, in verse 19, Paul says, no, all the fullness of God. Everything that God is was dwelling in Jesus Christ. And, and there's nothing more to be learned from secret knowledge, from secret testimonies, from secret meanings and messages. And all that junk you might be tempted to say is out there. It's not Jesus shows us the fullness of God. Think about it this way, all right? This is, this is why this is so important, why it's so amazing. Uh, imagine that you have to go see the boss, and it's not your boss. It's not your boss's boss, and it's not your boss's boss's boss. You work in a huge place, and this is your boss's 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 boss. You have never met the boss. You have never met this person. You don't know what they look like. Well, okay, you've seen pictures, so you have an idea of what they look like, at least when, when they are taking a portrait. But the one question, if you know you got to meet the boss, is this, what's the, what's the boss like? And not just what does he look like, but what is his heart like? How, how does he treat people? And do you have any idea why he wants to see me? Do you have any idea what it is? I'll tell you, if you are going to go see the boss's 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 boss, if you're going to go see that head person and you don't know anything about him, you will be just knocking your knees together unless, unless somebody says, look, I can tell you exactly who he is. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus shows us who the Father is. He shows us that the Father is, is truth, but the Father is also grace. That the Father is love. That the Father's heart breaks for his broken people. That the Father's heart breaks so that we can come home. That the Father wants us to experience his love and his grace. Only Jesus can teach us that. Only Jesus teaches us that fully. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwelling. And Jesus shows us the fullness of God. Nobody else can, all right? 
Second, second, Jesus, and this is so much fun. We'll have fun with this one. Jesus is supreme over all creation. Jesus is enough because he is bigger than all the creation. Jesus is supreme over all creation. The son is the image, verse 15, of the invisible God. And then this, the firstborn over all creation. Now, I want to stop here just for a minute, and it's a little bit of a detour, but I hope you'll find it worthwhile when we get done with it. But the son is the firstborn over all creation. And what Paul intends to say there, I think, and and, and it's carried out in the next verse, I'll show you that. It's not that Jesus was the firstborn like God created Jesus first and then the rest of creation. No, it's first in rank over all creation. Okay, when he says it's a firstborn over all creation, he means first over all creation, the first in power, the first in rank. He is the one who is over all creation. The reason this is important is that some translations, this is the New International Version, some translations say the firstborn of all creation. And there are some groups, probably the most prominent, the Jehovah's Witnesses. If you speak with Jehovah's Witnesses, there's a pretty good chance they'll point to this verse. And they'll say, you see, Jesus is not God. Because Jesus is the firstborn of all the creation. That God, what they believe is that God created Jesus first, and then Jesus created everything else. But Jesus is a creature. He's not God. That's why Jehovah, Yahweh, is the only God. That's what they, Jehovah's Witnesses, right? And, and so what they do is they take this verse as one of their key ones to say he's the firstborn of all creation. But that's not right. He's over all creation. He is not part of creation. The next verse says, for in him all things were created. All things, everything was created by Christ Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is supreme over all creation. Okay, and I want to just, I I did this a long time ago, hope long enough ago that you might have forgotten, but I want to just take a journey with you through space, okay? If you have... If you haven't forgotten, you'll love it. Because this is just, I mean, to think about this, we kind of read those words. Yep, Jesus created everything. Okay, great. Let's just think about Jesus holding all things together. Let's just think about all that he's holding together here, all right? And let's take a journey. We're going to go at the speed of light, so we need to know what that is. The speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. Okay? That's how fast we're going to travel, 186,000 miles per second, 670 million miles per hour, 16 trillion miles in a year. So at that speed, at the speed of light, how long does it take to go around the earth? You don't have to guess. It's under, uh, well, just right about, a little bit over actually, 0.13 seconds. It's a distance of 24,901 miles In, in, in less than a fifth of a second, you've gone around the whole earth. If you... If you had a full second, you could go around the earth seven times. You'd have seven times around the earth in one second. That's how fast you would be going. How long would it take us to go to the moon? Under one and a half seconds. Because the moon is 238,900 miles away. All right? Again, seven times around the earth, it's one and a half seconds. Uh, in, In one second, one and a half seconds, we get to the moon. How long to the sun? Eight minutes. At the speed of light, it would be eight minutes for us to get to the sun because the sun is, let's see, I got to look, 93,444,000 miles away. All right. So you think of how far the sun is away. It's only taking us eight minutes to get there. That's how fast we're going, okay? 
We get to the sun in eight minutes. What about across our solar system? 11 hours. The entire solar system in 11 hours, that's 7.37 billion miles. Uh, that's our star. That's the next step up is the galaxy, right? In our galaxy, the nearest star, not our sun, is four point, it's going to take us 4.3 years. Think about it. Seven times in one second around the earth, 4.3 years to get to the nearest star that is not our sun. That's almost 70 trillion miles. And he holds it all together. What about the North Star? You can see the North Star, right? The little dipper, you follow it around, you follow the, the last part of it up, and there's the North Star. How long would it take us to get to the North Star? 323 years. 323 years because it's 5.168 quadrillion, okay? 5.168 quadrillion miles. What about the edge of our galaxy? The edge of the Milky Way galaxy. How long is it going to take us to get there? Again, seven times in one second around the Earth. It's going to take 923,330 years because that is 14.773 quintillion miles. How many galaxies are there? How many galaxies are there? Well, 20 years ago, the problem with this one is we just don't have telescopes that are good enough to guess. 20 years ago, the guess was about 100,000. That's what the estimate was after Hubble and a few others. Today, it's an estimated 200 billion. Jesus holds everything together. And if he's big enough to hold all that together, friends, he's big enough to face whatever I'm chasing, facing in my life. If he's big enough to hold those galaxies and galaxies and to spin them and, and hold them all in their place and to do all of that, he is big enough to handle whatever I am facing. He is supreme over all creation. He can handle that. He can handle all the, uh, the stuff and the junk. There is no power that is greater than him. There is no enemy who is more powerful than him. He created it all, and he still holds power over it all, and he still holds it all together, and he can handle anything that comes our way. Now, I don't know why he doesn't always handle it the way I want him to in my time frame, but I know he can. I know he's big enough. He can handle whatever comes our way, and he still knows the numbers of hairs on our heads. I thought about going the other way into neutrons and protons and all that stuff, but I, I thought you can do that in your own head or find somebody else who's probably done that. But Jesus, think about that. I mean, he's got a really, he's really smart, right? <laughs> he holds everything together, but he also knows about me. He knows me better than I know me. He is the one who, who holds it all together. So he's supreme over creation, shows us the fullness of God. He's the head of the church, all right? He is the head of the church. Uh, verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. And Paul, I think, identifies two things that this means. The first is really important for us because sometimes we in the church forget what we really have to give to people. But Jesus is the head of the church, means that he's the source of life in the church. Okay, this is thinking about the word head, and the Greek can be both, but like the head of a river, right? The source of a river. This is where it comes from. You can trace the Mississippi up, right? And you say, this is the beginning. Everything else comes from here. It all starts with this. This is where it all begins. That's Jesus. He is the beginning 
and the firstborn among the dead. With his resurrection, he started the church. With his resurrection, he raised. Now, there were others he had raised to the, to, to, from the dead, but he was raised to the new life, the imperishable life, the life that we can carry on with us forever. And he is the beginning of that, and he is the source of that. He is the one who gives us that life. And, and, and friends, what that means is if I start giving you secrets and saying this is what you really need, is this secret knowledge or this secret prayer, if I start wanting to tell you what you need is something other than Jesus, then get a new preacher. Because what we need is Jesus. He is the source of life in the church, and he is the leader of the church. He is the head so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And we have to trust his Leadership, and we have to trust his way. I think sometimes, again, we say, you know, well, Jesus, we appreciate how you did that back then, but we got great stuff now. We got technology that we, and we start to get reliant on stuff other than, than our stories and testimonies about Jesus Christ in our lives, other than the word of God. No, Jesus is enough. And, and, and he said that he would change the world by dying for it. So he shows us the fullness of God. He's supreme over all creation. He's the head of the church. And then one more, he's the reconciler of all things. God was pleased, verse 19, to have all his fullness dwell in him. Why? And through him to reconcile to himself all things. All things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus Christ is the one who reconciles all things by the power of his blood. It begins with him reconciling us to the Father with him washing away our sins, with him giving us his righteousness. And he restores us in that relationship with the Father, and that is the first thing that we all need, the most important thing that we all need. We reconcile through the Father, through the, Father, through the blood of Jesus Christ. He reconciles us to each other. And, and, and this is one we need to keep working on, friends. He reconciles us to each other to break down those barriers and those, those uh, things that, that so often the ageism that sometimes defines us and says, well, you're old, I don't, you don't understand me. You're young, you don't understand me. I, I'm black, you're white. And those things, we have to continue to be committed to reconciliation. But I think it's interesting to recognize and think about it. he reconciles all things, all things. He reconciles, I don't know, how, I don't, I don't know what the mountains are going to look like when they're reconciled. But someday they will be. I can't imagine they'll get more beautiful, but maybe they will. Uh, Isaiah saw this day and he said this, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will die down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. He's going to reconcile creation itself. As somebody asking me this week, not with much seriousness, but whether Jesus died for their dog. And I said, I don't really know, and I don't. But this makes me wonder, Right? If he's going to reconcile all things, I suppose dog needs reconciliation too. He makes all things new, and he does it through his blood. He does this by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Friends, he's the only one who can make you new. He's the only one who can change your heart. He's the only one who can change my heart. He's the only one who can wash away my sins. It is his blood. So those four things. Jesus shows us the fullness of God. He, he's supreme over creation. He created all things. He made all things. He holds all things together. He reconciles all things. He's the head of the church, the reconciler of all things. Jesus is enough. Let's wrap it up. What difference does it make? 
first of all, I want to just give you permission to please. You don't need to have Christian FOMO. Jesus is enough. All right, you don't need to go into a bookstore and say, "Uh uh-oh, if I don't read this book, my life will not be. No, read Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Do we have enough of Jesus? No, we can all grow deeper in Christ. If the book tells us how to grow deeper in Christ, then it's giving us the Christian, the Christian life, okay? But, but it's, it's Christian. We don't have to sit there and always wonder if there's a lot more we're supposed to discover. It's Jesus, and he's more than we'll ever understand. But he is enough. We need to make sure, second, that he has the number one place in our lives. There's nothing else that can give you life. There's nothing else that can give you peace. There's nobody else who can give you joy. There's nobody else who can give you security. We do so much looking for things and wanting something else to satisfy us. But it's Jesus and Jesus alone, and we can trust him at all times and in all places because he is enough. If you're in one of those ditches right now, If you're in a depression, if you're in a bad marriage, if you're struggling with your kids and wondering about that, I don't know why Jesus doesn't change all those things right now, but I know this. He can and one day he will. I know it's not for lack of power or love because Jesus is enough. And when we trust him, when we put our lives in his hands, we will see that he is faithful. And so, so good. Let's pray together. Father, sometimes we fear that we're missing out. We feel like it should be better that our lives should go more smoothly, that our prayers should be more answered, that our pain should be less, that we should be new quicker. We should be changed. Father, remind us that you are God and Jesus is our Lord. Our brother is also our Lord and that he is enough. And in your time, he will make all things new. And so, Father, please open up our hearts to see your goodness and your faithfulness that is running after us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.